Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing J.M. Paquette, and we're with Wiley Davis. Welcome. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Were you waiting to cheer? You actually look like you were waiting to cheer there, (laughs) J.M. Just trying trying to get in a cheer. We'll see. Okay. We'll see if that, I, I might have to have somebody edit that out. Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking. Um, I have my uh, favorite uh, Riesling, which is the Pacific Rim. So I am I'm drinking that in my, uh, just for the record, very plastic wine glasses, because I'm not to be trusted with glass ever, <laughs> ever in my life. Um, uh, Jen, what are you drinking tonight? In my favorite Jack Skellington, well, Sally, right? Smug. I'm I'm focusing on the mug because right now I'm drinking it's green tea, but it's strawberry green tea, which I don't particularly enjoy green tea. So I always try it with new flavors and strawberry doesn't make it any better. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm glad you got a pretty cup out of that deal. I did. Well, I did. Good job. Good job. Wiley, what are you drinking? Something fun, right? Yes. Um, I, I did a little splurge for, for today. Um, this is an Oberon Cab Sab from Lodi, California. Um, I mention it in the book. There's a fairly scandalous scene um, that takes place there that apparently some of the neighbors are talking about. And um, I, I'm drinking it in my great-grandmother's goblet um, that oh, I wow. inherited. Um, also that I talk about in the book. So um, you're you're in for some treats. I like I this the book themed in that goblet's amazing. Yeah. It definitely one-ups my plastic <laughs> cup and even better, um, my Mardi Gras plastic water glass. So I just, I'm, I'm like the, I'm like the, you know, budgetary person showing up. I'm like, oh my God, we're at a pool party. I brought box wine. But safety first. <laughs> True. <laughs> okay. So why, why don't you tell the audience that may not know you, what do you write? Um, I would love to. So uh, I just published um, in February of this year, my first book, I self-published on Amazon and it's a memoir um, kind of about my life and about my divorce and um, moving to Florida from California and escaping um you know, the life of a preacher's kid and narcissism. And yeah, so it's a, it's a memoir, um, mostly focusing on, uh, like my mid thirties, a little bit of jumping back in the past. Very cool. What made you decide to write this? Um, great question. So I always knew I was going to write a book. I always knew that I had a story to tell, particularly with my upbringing And I just didn't know when I was going to be ready. And um, I went through quite a bit of therapy after my divorce was final. And I started, I just felt compelled to write. And um, I started looking at like memoirs and how to write a memoir. And um, I settled on the hero's journey. So once it was, once I had like figured out what I was going to write and it was really easy to be like, okay, well, this is. The hero's journey. So this act has to have these things in it. And then the next act has to have these things in it. And so breaking all of that down and, you know, I, I would take them on um, little note cards and then write down what they, what the different um, beats were and then kind of move them around to be able to tell the story. And um, every time I sat down to write, and this was something I found on one of the blogs, um, probably on Pinterest. Uh, every time I sat down to write, I asked myself the questions, 
what could this book do for me? And what could this book do for my readers? And yeah, it was really, you know, kind of, kind of powerful. And I got a lot of healing and, um, I went into writing the book, trying to answer three questions for myself. And those were, why did I pick my ex-husband? Why did I stay? And what was I getting out of the relationship? And it wasn't until I finished writing the book that I was actually able to answer all three of those questions. Were the answers that surprised you? Um, the, There's the a pause answer- and not yeah. because of technical difficulties. <laughs> it's fine. I have to throw that out sometimes because we were like, did it just stop? <laughs> did she freeze? Um, the, the answer to what I was getting out of the relationship was a big aha moment. Um, so yeah, that was, and, and it's in the very last chapter of the book, so I'm not going to give it away. (laughs) Okay. No, no, I don't want you to give it away. I just wondered because a lot of times when we go into situations to get resolutions, it, sometimes it turns out the way we thought it was going to, but a lot of times, not only does it not turn out how we think it's going to, it is so wildly different. We couldn't have imagined that being the answer to the situation. And look at all the vagity. Vagity? Is that a word? Is that vagary? Va- va- vagary. Vagary. Thank you. <laughs> va- vagary. <laughs> we just started. Um, the English literature while I'm making up sounds. I'm going to have a drink, Jen. You ask a question. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that you are using writing to kind of work through these questions about, you know, how you're feeling and to kind of process this. Is this something that you've done your whole life or is this a newer thing that you just started doing where you kind of find the answers through writing? Um, I had not written creatively since high school. Um, so I, I do a lot of writing in my, you know, day job. Um, and there's a lot of marketing and knowing your audience and how do you tell a story? And, um, every time that we go in for a presentation with our leadership bits, what's the story here and how do you craft it? And, you know, what, what are, what are we trying to get across and what are we trying to get them to do or, Mm -hmm. you know, approve or give us money for. So a lot of that, um, is something that I had a pretty strong muscle doing, Um, But when I would sit down to write, I gave myself deadlines and it was like, okay, I have to have a first draft by September. And I started writing in July and I was like, I want, you know, a hundred thousand words by September. And it was, you know, two weeks into August. And I'm like, okay, I got a lot of work to do. (laughs) So I would just sit down, I pour myself a glass of wine and I would sit down to start writing. And I would find that it would be one o'clock in the morning. I'd taken maybe three sips of my wine and I had gotten, you know, through a ton of work that I wanted to do and having the, the layout of like the hero's journey and going, it it gave me really good road markers. So I could be like, okay, from here to here is what I'm going to focus on today. And then when I would finish that, it's like, okay, what's the next thing that I need to do? So it really just kind of helped me build this like train with a bunch of stops to, to keep on going. And, um, I went and sat in Ocala national forest. I took off time from work. Cause I was like, I said, I was going to be done by this time and I'm going to be done by this time. And I did not stop writing for three days straight. So giving those myself, those deadlines and having a clear path for where I was trying to go, I think was what helped me be able to achieve that. That's very cool. That's really neat. So, so- <laughs> jinx. <laughs> I'd say you have to buy me a Coke, but you're not drinking those anymore. So no, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, as as it's a memoir, um, does it mention people in your life in a way that they are appreciative of? Uh, not that- everyone. <laughs> not everyone. How did that um, go? And some people are like, yeah, I don't like that guy. He's not good. Um, there are some people that don't know that I've written this book. There's actually a, a lot of people that um, are are in the book that most people that are in the book know, and most people that are in the book have read it before I published it. Um, but there's two specific individuals, my my dad and my ex-husband, that don't know. Um, so there's always this piece of like, uh, what's going to happen? <laughs> How's that going to go? But, um, you know, there's, there's an um, author who wrote a book called Say Their Names. And basically, she wrote a memoir, and she went back and forth on does she say their real names? Does she not say their real names? How does that work? What do I do? And um, I really thought very, very much into like defamation and what that actually is. And I talked to an attorney um, when I got closer and had like a real sort of view of what I was publishing and, and writing. And um, I'm not an attorney and this is not legal advice. So for anybody who's listening, go talk to an attorney. Nobody here is responsible. But what I did was look at, um, is it true? Can it be backed up by evidence? Um, what would be damages if somebody were able to figure this out? And, oh, there was another one. Okay. So, so there are all of those things that are like, okay, if it's true, that's the number one defense against defamation. So making sure that anything that I publish could be researched and documented, like in our emails between each other or, you know, corroborated by somebody who was there or, you know, all of those things. So making sure that anything I wrote was true. Um, and then that was really crazy because I had to go through a lot of our old emails and our old text messages and, you know, all of the things that that brought up. So there was this extra level of like processing the divorce that I had to go through when I was doing all of that research, which was a little bit weird. I mean, there would be times where I would be like, this is, this is kind of the last thing that I want to be thinking about right now, but I have to focus so much of my energy on it because I'm trying to help people understand what it's like to be in these mentalities of I'm with someone who I don't feel safe with. And, you know, what are all of the excuses that you tell yourself in that moment? Right. And so going back there and putting myself back there and, um, processing that, um, so, you know, to answer your question, um, yes, there are real people. Um, everything that I wrote about is true. Um, there might be some pieces that I sort of took and, and modified to be able to, for storytelling purposes, you know, there's a big disclaimer in the front of the book. That's like everything here that that happened is true, but this is a creative nonfiction. So dialogue has been recreated, um, you know, people, places, companies have been, um, changed, you know, so, so there is that level of like, this happened, but it's, it was a creative interpretation. And one of the things that I will say is that every person that has read my book that knows both my dad and my ex-husband have said, you were very fair. And so I appreciate that. That to me says that what I said honored who he was and who I am and what we went through and doesn't embellish it just for the point of, I want him to be a bad guy. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. You know, um, I, 
I think it's interesting because I'm actually right in the middle of a similar process, different subject matter, but similar. And it it is actually a notation I have in the manuscript is, can I use the names? Because for some of it, I think it's almost empowering to use the names and calling out what they did. I'm not taking your advice, trust me, I'm already going to go see a lawyer and go, fun story. <laughs> I want you to read this. I want you to tell me how much trouble I could get into. And then what is the worst case scenario? And that's the other thing I'm personally vetting is like, what are they going to do? Right. Because, you know, you start off going, this is my memories of this. This is my recollections of it. What are you going to do to me if you know, you're going to sue me for defamation? Cool. I'd love to bring the text messages, emails, all the other stuff sort of to light you know, and the parade of witnesses that would love to tell that side of the story. Right. 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 Um, yeah, it's tricky, but at the end of the day, whatever you decide that you're going to do, if you change people's names or if you keep them the same, there were some names that I absolutely could not change. And my dog Hank was one of them. Like I, there is no other word that I could ever use to encompass all of the things that you know, he is and was and means to me. And so the idea of even trying to come up with something different, just, it was never going to work. Like it would just always feel disingenuous to me. Um, so I, I preserved that, but pretty much every other name, um, is, has been changed. Oh, that, that totally makes sense. So did anybody have reactions that you weren't anticipating from reading it? Oh my God, y'all. So <laughs> my book is a bit sex in the city, a bit where the crawl dads sing a bit, um, divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood. People have told me that it has sort of a Kathleen Hoover feel. I think that's her name. Catherine Hoover. Uh, yeah. Hoover. Um, and it, my, my scenes are never meant to titillate, but they are definitely meant to say what happened. Um, so there's a scandalous scene that takes place at a country club. And then there's another sort of scandalous scene that takes place on an airplane. And my mom was like, well, why are you writing? Why are you writing this? Like, why are you sharing these parts of the story? And my point to her was, you have to understand. And I want the reader to see what I was getting out of each one of those sexual experiences. So that when I've dis discover how I heal myself, that it makes sense for all of those things to be like, oh, I get it now. And she's like, well, can I, can I read your book? And I said, you know, I don't know if you want to read these things about me. So I spent two and a half hours giving her like going through and giving, like redacting everything, pulling stuff out. Like, you know, there's some language in there. It's an adult book. Um, you know, if you're easily offended, this is not the book for you. Um, and my mom is a very conservative, you know, Christian woman. So I took out all of the language and I sent her the, the manuscript. She was actually also writing her own book at the time. And I get on the phone with my brother and he's like, yeah, mom doesn't think that you sent her the redacted version. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, she's just said that things just, you, you share a lot. 
And I'm like, oh my God. And so I go back and I look at the one that I emailed her. Yeah, no, it was not redacted at all. So my mom is reading all of these sexual experiences that I have had throughout my life and is completely horrified. But the thing that like really hits the nail on the head is that she thought that the version that she was reading was the redacted version. So she was like, oh no. If this if this is what you left in, what did you take out? Oh I love that actually. (laughs) You told her though, right? She knows. Oh yeah. Now now she knows. But it's like um I don't know if you guys have read um Bright Lights Big City, but there's a really beautiful scene in that book where um, the main character's mother is, um, dying of cancer and she knows that she's going to die. It's her last night and they're sitting there and she starts asking him all of these like really personal questions. Like how old were you when you lost your virginity? And have you ever done drugs? And all of these things that you go, I never want my mom to know about this. And he's like, mom, why are you asking? Why are you asking? And she's like, because I want to know you. And this is the last chance that I'm ever going to have to be able to know who you really are. And so it's this beautiful moment of him just completely tearing down all of the walls and showing his mom this massive vulnerability. So that's kind of how I felt about it in hindsight is like, well, now you know who I am. There's no secrets. Like nobody can come back at me and say anything about, you know, I, who I was because it's all right here in this book. I like it. I think that's very brave of you to do. Yeah. Yeah overall because i mean you know the thing about writing at all is when you're exposing yourself and um and i mean that in the best way possible (laughs) and then but when you write a memoir you're super exposing yourself and you're not only exposing yourself to people close to your whatever you're right you know laying it bare for everybody to see so that's that's a lot and did you ever doubt that choice at all when you were going to publish this nope I never second guessed it. I never thought twice about it. I thought if I'm going to do this, I need to be authentically me, very real, leave it all on the table. And one of the things that I say at the very end of the book is like, this is not our shame to carry. So some of the things that I did, like you can only feel shame when somebody, when you allow somebody to make you feel that way. And so by me sharing this and saying, this is my story, this is who I am. This is what I've been through this is what I've learned. This is how I've grown. This is how I've picked up all of the pieces and forced myself to move on. You know, I, and I don't have shame in that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to feel like, I'm not going to feel ashamed about it at, at this point. It's made me who I am. And, um, I even thank my ex-husband in the acknowledgements. I say, thank you for, you know, being who you were because, and asking me it's me or the horse, because that, forced me into saying, who am I and who do I want to be? And what do I want the rest of my life to be? And it was at that moment where I was like, I'm done. And I would never change who I've become because of all of the things I've been through. Very cool. I love that. Very empowered. Okay. So I do have to ask you, um, are you going to write more though? Cause writing a memoir, sometimes I, I did have one person on the show, um, who wrote a memoir um, it was about losing her husband. And then she's like, yeah, I'm not going to write any more books. And I was kind of like, why are you on the show? <laughs> it was okay. Like, I was just a little surprised. But, you know, um, what is your plan now then? Um, it's funny because people who have read my book, particularly my friends, and I don't know if they're doing it just because they are my friends, 
Um, but they're like, okay, I, I want more. So like, when is there going to be more? And I'm really hoping that there's not a sequel to the memoir that like, at this point, everything is sorry, Walter. No, we're not with squeaky toys. Is that your dog's name is Walter? Yeah. It's Walter and Margo and, uh, Fairfax. That's the senior one. This is Margo. And then this is, that's Walter and they are litter mates. And they were born right there. And I saw both of them take their first breaths. And I, you can read all about that in the book. <laughs> Wonderful. Love it. What is the little one behind you's name? Fairfax. It's the um, street he was found on in Los Angeles. And it was the street I was living off of. And I didn't name him that. Um, he just came with it. And I felt like, okay, I have to keep it. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, it's a good time. I like that your dogs have people names. Uh, and then my cats are Pete and David. Yeah, people names. I love it. Yeah. I love that. And my horse's name is Gummy. Uh, not people names. Not people. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's the answer to the question of what did you pick? Right. I, I, pick, I picked the horse. Um, there's a funny meme that's like, uh, my husband said it's me or the horse. And sometimes I think about him while I'm riding. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Is that the horse? What do you mean? From the, it's me or the horse? Is that the horse? The horse in it's me or the horse. His name was uh, Champ. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, love it. Um, so other than Walter interrupting a very pivotal question I was asking, Walter, <laughs> pay attention, my friend. We're in an interview. Um, what What is your plan next as a writer? Oh, yes. Um, I absolutely want to write more. Again, I'm hoping that there's not a sequel to this, that it's just sort of the one and done. There was no more, you know, legal, whatever. Um, But God, that would be really, really interesting if there was. Uh, I'm I'm kind of thinking about doing um, like a young adult series for young girls. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Don't worry about it at all. But now's the time to play with all of my toys right behind you. <laughs> I love everything that's happening. That's right so now. cute. I cannot imagine sending my mother an unredacted memoir. Okay, I'm really sorry. I hope you can go. No, you're out. fine. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to move all of the toys so that this doesn't keep happening. They, we can't oh, hear fine. the toys. You're okay. No, we can't hear it. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> it's literally <laughs> What's more fun is nobody's <laughs> hearing the toy. They're just hearing your reaction to said toy. And it's adorable. We're going to just blame the wine in the crafter's goblet. Because- All good. Um, but yes, I would like to do a young adult series and kind of, you know, talk about what it's like to be. It's, my idea would be it would be based off of my childhood, which is a group of teenage girls that are, are writing and competing and doing all of these things. And you know, they're going through tough stuff in life about boyfriends and drugs and, you know, car accidents and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what I would think about is having like a series of taking some of the things that I experience and then sort of fictionalizing them and, you know, that. That sounds fantastic. Okay. We actually have to take a quick break. We will be right back with Walter on Drinking with Authors. Hey listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have, but guess what? I'm doing something new. 
Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. We're back with Walter, the dog of our author, Wiley Davis, who's taking over this podcast for us for now. I'm just kidding. That would be so amazing. Okay. <laughs> so young adult series, have you started working on it at all? I have it. It's percolating though. I'm definitely, um, it's definitely going on up here. Um, Kindle has, or not Kindle, uh, Amazon has this new thing called like Kindle Villa, I think is what it is. And it's where you can do little sort of short stories. So I was thinking about kind of starting with that and then just pushing them out, but, um, I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. And I'm also, and I don't know if any other authors really deal with this, but, um, I'm going through my book one more time and I'm like, okay, where can I change words? You know, I, I just had to like meet my February deadline. And now I'm like, is there anything else I can do to make it perfect? Like, how do I go okay, through and you just need do to one stop more doing Yes. <laughs> Every yeah. time you open your book, you're always going to find something you can do better. And I always say it's never done. It's just do and just walk away and let it go. You have to be like Elsa and let it go so that really? you can work on the next thing. Yeah. You can't do this. Cause if you do this, that, that is literally all you're going to be doing. Okay. Instead of making new stuff, you'll just keep fixing, and, which is nice. You're like, oh, but I'm better now. Like I've, I have more practice. I could have written this so much better, but yeah, but write the new thing. We already read that. All right. Progress, yeah. not perfection. Yes. Yes. You can't, I love it. Here's the thing. No matter what you do, you can't ever make that book perfect. No matter what you do. I know you, you might think you can, but you won't because trust two authors that have books that are over 15 years old. Every time we pick up that first story, we're like, motherfucker. And it goes like, <laughs> it go. It'd be like, it's a time capsule of, of who I was when I wrote it. And that was my skill level. And now I have more points and things. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, just create new things. All right. I feel it's more satisfying. Well, that, and you actually can be a writer then, because guess what? Nobody's like, you know what? I wonder if she made her 13 paths through this book yet. When she <laughs> that, I'm read it. <laughs> said no one ever, right. ever said that. And you know, Anne Rice said exactly what um Jen just said is they that she was talking about an interview with vampire, and she said that was the best work I could do at that point in time. And I stand by it. And then Stephen King says, if you're a writer, then you better be writing every single day because if you're not, you're not a writer. I'm yeah. paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he said in on writing, but it's pretty damn fucking close. The so. idea that that's your job if you want to be a writer. Exactly. So do any other writers have this phenomena, phenomenon? So I would go through and write for however many hours into the night. And then I would have zero recollection of what I wrote. 
<laughs> every student ever who's written a paper the night before and then turned it in the next day is like, oh my God, what does this even say? <laughs> yeah, it, it happens, I think, just when you're on like auto mode and you're just writing and you're creating and everything and you're like, this is so good. And then you go back and reread it when you're, you've had some distance and some of it is still so good. And some of it, it's like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. And so, to your point, it's complete garbage. Some and of it, some of it. If you get wine like I do and then drink and like add someone to your drink and add someone by the end of the evening, I'm just writing sounds. <laughs> <laughs> are those words I mean they are not in that order they don't make sense yeah. but they're words right. yeah I was writing last night and I was looking over a sentence because I was just checking a little something I'd written like a two paragraphs before because I was describing something and I'm like okay and then I'm like why do why can't I remember two paragraphs before and then I looked at the sentence and it was literally missing words like oh entire my God, words. Yeah. <laughs> well that <laughs> happens that happens too because you write and, and also if you write something and then you reread it immediately, your brain reads what you thought you wrote, which is why you're missing words. Cause you're, you're not typing as fast as your brain is processing when you're in the zone. So you always have to give yourself a time, like a break. So you're looking at it new and then your brain's like, oh wait, those letters make words. These are the words on the page. So you need that disconnect. Yeah. To your point, um, I had to go through periods where I was like, I'm not going to look at my book for 10 days. Like I have to yeah. just stop and just give it time to process. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, this is how I'm going to tell that part that I didn't know where to put it, you know, and then go back and, you know, when, when, it, when it comes to you and you're back ready to be able to work on it again, instead of just looking at the same thing over and over and over again and trying to figure out what you said. Yeah. yeah. The, the other life hack for that, I, I, I'm a teacher. So I always tell students, I'm like, you're not supposed to write things the night before, but I know everybody does. Cause I did too. Um, the, another trick to trick your brain at 4am when it's due at eight is to change the font of your essay, like change the font, make it huge, make it like Edwardian script, just something that your brain has to actually read again. And then you'll read it instead of playing the game of, Oh, I thought there were so many brilliant words there. Yeah. But that's cheating a little. <laughs> no, it's, it's true though. Cause that's when I decided last night at like one o'clock in the morning, I was like, Okay. And then I couldn't get the word to type out correctly on the page. And I was like, you know what? I better go it's to bed. It's time. It's time. <laughs> Tap it out. I'm done. Although mm. I'm like, it was in a creative flow. I was like, this is not good. And now I don't even know where I am because now I'm so discombobulated by my missing words. Mm. Every, every writer's experience is, I feel like different, but at the same time, similar because we run into things and you have to find what works for you. This was your first book which is amazing. But trust me, when we have you back on this podcast at your fifth or sixth book, you're going to be like, well, <laughs> what I do now is. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll go, well, Wiley and Walter, we're going to pull up this <laughs> podcast from when we initially talked to you and you said following and you're like, I don't even know that first. Processes adjust. Yeah. Yeah. But you have got to let that manuscript go. Let it go. I can't do one more pass. Really? No, no. <laughs> oh, it's what, done. It, it, like what? What is the done. amount? The amount of time you're going to spend doing it is is that valuable time? 
is that time spent well versus what you could be creating or writing or researching or? Here's the answer to that question. I have gone through and read this and redlined it. And it has been sitting on my nightstand for probably three months because I haven't had the motivation to pick it up and start translating it into the actual text. So that tells you how important it is for you. You did it, you know, and it's fine. And at the same time, I'm thinking about the other things that I want to write and what that looks like. You should do those things. And if you want to, at some point, because you want to take a break from your fiction and your young adult series, and you want to pick up that a manuscript again that you redlined three for, you know, then you can look at it and go, okay, I want to do it. Or I want to make a collector's or, you know what, I want to make an annotation to it because I've realized something else I want to put in there. That's just sitting in my universe. Great. But let it go. All authors out there listening, let it go. It's yeah. Give us the new stuff. Yeah. Did she freeze? Did she freeze on us? I think she did. I think she froze. Sometimes I think it's me, but it's not always me. No. Mountain in on that. I don't know why I just said it like that, but oh, there it was. was You're back. You're back. Okay. Okay. I was like, is it me? Y'all froze. (laughs) But I guess it was me that froze. (laughs) It was you because we had a whole conversation about my mountain internet. So it was, I we'll see. You know what? Actually, we'll see when the episode comes out who actually went of record. I like that. Um, Okay. So. Young adult, super awesome. What is the new goal you're setting for yourself that you're now going to have documented and that everybody can hear? Um, so I had to put my 21-year-old retired horse that I bought in the book um, to sleep on Monday. And what I think I really want to do is just sit down and write about it. And so that is on my immediate um, thing that I need to do is to just tell what this experience was like for me and what I went through with it. And that's on my, like, like it's, it's kind of going through, I guess the heart parts before I can really connect the head and the heart. So then I can sit down and, you know, I'm just not there yet, but that's what that's on my immediate. And I feel like that's something I could probably push out to the Kindle Vela or whatever it is um, and Mm -hmm. start getting like little short stories out. Okay. You wrote a whole book though. And I appreciate that you want to write that and I can, I can go, okay. And it will be cathartic and everything, but you wrote a whole book. You don't get to go back to little short stories unless (laughs) um, adding them to some anthology with a lot of famous people. So you can like get the USA Today moniker or something, Um, our USA bestseller. Uh, So yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to say there. Yeah. as as an avid short storyer, which I've done, I I had myself, and I went through this myself, which is, it it becomes a crutch because you're like, well, I wrote that story, and I have ten books out because I wrote all these stories, but they're stories, short stories, and not right. the books. So right. I would make sure that you don't go down that rabbit hole because it's very easy to almost have fal- false accolades from because you're like look at all this stuff I've done but you you already wrote a book so we know you can write a book yeah so maybe you can translate that experience into something for your young adults characters to experience right Um, if you capture it now and then 
Yeah. And, and that's maybe, a brilliant idea. Young adult lost a horse. Look at that. Yep. And so I think that this is a really great conversation for me. I don't talk to other writers really. <laughs> okay. Helpful. Well, that is another thing you can change is you should find a tribe of other writers because even just to chat with them and stuff like that and find people of similar genres to you and stuff, because writers in general are the most accommodating community because it is a kind of a solo sport, right? We're by ourselves when we're doing writing, even if we're on a computer and we're with other people, nobody's in your head and, you know, doing this, even if you go, Hey, I need this idea. Great, but that's one little like microscopic portion of the entire story. So finding other people who understand what you're going through and can give you advices, I would absolutely find that community. Absolutely. I recommend that to all authors because you got to talk to other people who know what the hell you're going through. Yeah. Any tips on where that community is? What I recommend is there's a lot of ones like the Bookish Road Show and different kind of things I depending on your area I'd look to see if there's any um, local library yeah library writers groups because it's kind of fun if you can go in person to a coffee shop with your laptop and write you know or just meet up with them but there is a ton you could even reach out to authors that you like and go hey I'm also an author I just wondered if you wanted to chat sometime all right that's a good idea yeah because I found writers to be, not that there aren't other celebrities, because I've interacted with a lot of celebrities on stuff, but, and they're really, some of them can be amazing people, but man, writers walk around with such a giant cowboy hat of imposter syndrome, they don't realize the celebrity that they are. So it makes it really easy, not in a bad way, to talk to them because they make themselves approachable, because they want their audience to truly like their book and stuff. And yeah, you can get reviews and all this stuff. But, you know, I've talked to people that have um, books that have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of reviews and they're still like, yeah, no, I really hope everybody likes it. And I'm like, shut up. Just like nobody even (laughs) wants to hear you. Shut your mouth, prom queen. Nobody's interested. (laughs) So you will find your people that want to talk to you and you'll find your group, you know? And that's what I would do is just start reaching out. And guess what? Some people are going to be dicks, but find the people and find the people that understand what you're going through and you can really relate to them, you know? Yeah. And kind of, kind of on that note about like your, my book isn't for everyone, right? Like to your, to your point about imposter syndrome and like, what does it mean? And, you know, you get a good review on one thing and then somebody else gives you like a one star. and. I'd gotten really good reviews, you know, from some people like my friends, but then also like there were a couple that I didn't really know who they were. And then um, I got two one-star reviews on Goodreads and they were both from, uh, from dudes. And I'm like, okay, what about this pink cover (laughs) with a girl with a ponytail screams? This is, this is going to be a good, like, but guess what? (laughs) They, they bought your book. They paid That's for it. True. Just thank them. No book is for everybody. There's not a single book on this planet that is for everybody. Exactly. And that's what no. I had to tell myself is like, my book is not for everyone. This is not personal. They didn't enjoy it. They didn't need to enjoy it. It's nothing against them. It's nothing against me. Like it is what it is. 
not everyone is going to love it. Did you read um, where the crawdads sing or four blondes, which sex in the city is based off of? I did not. Okay. Just do me a favor. You know how popular those books are though, right? Yeah. Go look at the one star reviews on both of those books. Literally go on Amazon and filter by the one star reviews. Okay. Because both of these got made into TV shows and movies, right? Both of them are wildly popular. I actually very much loved um, the book where the crawdads sing and think the movie is fucking terrible. But um, that's <laughs> tell us just, how you really feel. Yeah, no, I always tell you how I really feel. That's the love <laughs> and joy of being host of the show. But I I recommend this to authors all the time. Go pick something that you absolutely love. I don't care what book it is, and go filter the one star, the two star reviews. Because they're out there and they have them and no book is for anyone. Right. And here's my whole theory. When somebody says they didn't like my book, I'm like, cool, but thank you for buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't give a shit if you like it. And if somebody reads the reviews and goes, oh, this isn't the book for me. Guess what? Yay. That review did its job it of preventing helps. that human from giving you another bad review. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And hey, you know what? Maybe put it in a little free library if it's not for you and just mm-hmm. pass it on to someone else who it might actually be for. So yeah. I just to have a similar thing and then we're going to go into literary briefs. I write humorous erotica. I have a series called My Home on Whore Island. It is <laughs> um, a very strong female protagonist. The tagline is um, uh, she's not looking for Mr. Right. She's looking for Mr. Right now. I had a male uh, give me a, it was a three-star review. And his three-star review was, this book's good for women, but it's really not good as a dating guide for how to, yeah. Um, And I was like, huh. I think you're looking at the wrong section, sir. Yeah. Dear sir who wrote this review. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag, thank you for buying my book. Dear sir, what the fuck were you thinking? Did you think that erotica was going to be a how to, you needed to get like how to date for dummies, not erotica for women. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it, I've had a lot of male people read the book and they find, because it's a, it's about a woman's journey and she has, um, uh, one night stands and stuff. And some of them are great, but some of them go all the way to cringeworthy. Right. But it's described and the book has whore tips in it, which is really about, how to know your limits and your boundaries and that sort of thing. And, um, but I've had guys read it that thought it was hysterical, absolutely hysterical, but this person obviously somehow thought it was a dating guide for him and that would help him. Now, if he actually read it and paid attention, it might have, because it did have advices in it as to how to not be this human that wrote this review, But that's, I just look at it and I go, cool, cool, cool. I could get upset that he gave me a review that lowered my, you know, potentially lowered my rankings, but I don't give a crap. You can ask Jen, I've been dying for the day I'm on a panel and somebody stands up to say something derogatory to me about my book, to which I could go, thank you for buying my book. Next question. (laughs) I'm not even going to answer their question. Kind of like trying to find a recipe for, you know, lasagna that has meat in it if you're a vegetarian like i i don't i can't help you like if you don't put vegetarian lasagna in your search for a recipe like you're gonna get things that that don't apply to you and i i you know it is what it is i will say worry 
Right. Yeah. I, I will say that the best compliment that I have gotten in response to my book was a male friend of mine who read it and said, I can see some of the behaviors that your ex did, and I can see how I do them to my wife and how she shrinks. And I am going to be very cautious of that and, and conscientious of how I make her feel because I've read your book. And so that was like, okay, look, if, if I help one person see their behavior and that inspires them to change, like, boom. That's amazing. I love it. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. And then you did it. You just, imposter syndrome needs to be balled up and thrown in the trash. So every time that little like gremlin that's like, hey, you need to doubt yourself. This thing is bad or whatever. That's why reviews are for readers. They're not for you. Unless your review says you keep switching tenses, your grammar is bad or whatever. Then if it says that, yeah, guess what? You need to probably fix your book. But if it says anything that is not a technical issue, and I'm not talking about they didn't like a character. I mean, literally a technical issue with the book. Fuck them. It doesn't matter because it's your book. You put it out there. Right. That is my advice is. Right. And with that, great advice that I can give to the world. We are going to go into our literary briefs. (laughs) Okay. So this is rapid fire questions. Wiley, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm going to be ready. (laughs) Okay. First question. As you know, what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, my favorite book of all time. I love the people who listen to this show. Every <laughs> writer, by the way, for people wondering who comes on the show, even if they prepare their homework goes, oh, yeah, uh-huh. that's a tough one. My favorite book of all time. Okay. This is the book. If I was stranded on an island that I would want to read and it's Fight Club. I yeah. love that book. Good yeah. time. Yeah. That is a great book. Okay. What about your least favorite? The Bible. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fair. Great. Now I'm going to get Christian hate mail. Just kidding. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just you asked. No, I did. And you answered <laughs> yeah. and it was fine. Okay, Jen, I'll let you ask a question. Favorite book to screen adaptation. It hasn't happened yet, but I cannot wait to see the Alice Network. Oh, by um, I think it's Alice. uh, No, it's by Kate Quinn. That is a book that probably, probably I should say that that's my favorite book before Fight Club. Um, This, if you haven't read it, it is absolutely fantastic. Love this book. It uh, just amazing. Can't recommend it enough. Very cool. Can I ask worst book to uh, screen adaptation? I have to really think about that. Um, Where you were like, no, this is terrible. The book was better. Well, it's always the book is better, but. The book is always better. Um, The worst. Oh my God. Maybe Jumanji. Really? Interesting. Okay. Not the Robin Williams Jumanji. The newer ones. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's Are fair. they based on a book? I think yeah, so. Jumanji is a book. Um, I haven't read it, but 
I haven't read it either. I have to say, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy Jack Black in that movie probably more than I should because that, yeah, he does a great job playing a, a high school girl. I really do think he nailed. He the does. He did. He really did. But yeah. All right. Um, what was the first concert you went to? Uh, the Indigo Girls. Yes. Good times. Don't, right. don't. If you start doing an Ani DeFranco dance. I'm not. Thing. I'm not. I love my Ani as well. <laughs> and Indigo. I love them all. It's fine. Okay. I'm done. My, uh, my done. chapters just... are all references to, to book title or to song titles. Yes. And um, there's a couple of Indigo Girls in here for sure. I like it. Yeah. That was critical for shaping who I ended up becoming in my life. Very cool. Very cool. Um, what about uh, your favorite? Uh, where is somewhere you want to visit, but you haven't yet? I would really like to go to Castle Leslie in Ireland. Um, they do this thing where uh, they have a bunch of horses. And so you go and you do a riding test and then they pair you up with like a guide and a horse. And then you just go ride through Ireland for a couple of days and you stay at this castle and they do you know, food and wine and the chef and the horse and all of that stuff. So I would like, my dream would be able to do that with my horse girlfriends and just go ride all over Ireland. See, that's yet another thing you can put in this book that you're mm-hmm. going to write. Yeah. Can imagine like that. It. Like, a, what is it? A, a, when, you, when you go study another country, studying abroad. Study abroad, there yes. yeah. Yeah. There we go. I don't even know why I can't even think of my name anymore. This is terrible. Okay. <laughs> You're asking um, me really tough questions. Like, <laughs> what's the worst book to movie adaptation? I'm like, oh my God, now I have to think about movies? <laughs> of course you do. This is a very... This is a very pivotal podcast where everything you say on this can make or break your career. It's very serious all the time. Very, very serious podcast that we have here. What's your favorite candy bar? Oh, I don't really like um, like chocolate bars. I I don't really do chocolate, but I can really get behind some like gummies, some Skittles, um, you know, anything that's like chewy and fruity. Oh, airheads. Are you kidding me? (laughs) The lemon Especially ones. The, the cherry flavor. Oh, have you God. had All high right. chews? A high chew? That's what it's called. H I chew. If you I've... like fruity candy, I'm not even kidding. Val Willis, who's another uh, co host of mine, gave me these on a road trip and now I'm fucking addicted. So I don't even buy oh them God. because if I buy them, that entire bag is being eaten. Jen has watched me do it. I have never heard of them until I went on, on the trip with Val and she was like, we need high chews. I was like, what is a high chew? It's like a starburst <laughs> that doesn't last as long. Oh my God. That and it's I am not gummies. nearly as, as, as hard as a starburst is. So. Oh, that's true. They're, but we also live in Florida. I think they're just hot. Like yeah. they melt. Yeah. No, that's not accurate. No. No. Okay. All right. Anyway. Okay. Well, we got to that. I mean, that was a very like informative, inspirational (laughs) thing. As a writer, what do you do that is a terrible habit that you, like your editor and stuff are like, stop doing this? Oh, I overuse commas. You, you throw them use, Jen. Like, like darts, just throw them wherever they land. There shall they remain. Yep. 
Yep. And I, I don't, I think it's just because I'm like going from the brain through the hands on the keyboard onto the screen. And so there's just, it just happens like comma, blah, comma, blah. Um, but yeah, I, I would say uh, my friend who edited the book was like, okay, you have to stop with this. Like it's too much. You don't get it right. And just don't put any commas in and then I'll go in and put them where they belong because it's just too much. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote a blog recently about the six reasons to use a comma. There's only six reasons. If it's not one of those six, you don't need it. Um, Check it I out. need to reference that. It's uh, on the Four Horsemen Publications website. Yeah, because <laughs> Jen is a very avid comma enthusiast and I... don't get her started. So Jen, ask a question, then I'm going to ask the final one. What is your favorite guilty pleasure? Mm. I want to say softcore porn, but I just feel like that's <laughs> so too honest. <laughs> I love that. Gotta love, gotta love a little cinematics, you know? Um, okay, so. Oh my God. That's what happens like, when you ask me to drink wine and answer rapid fire questions. I know that is why we it. started this. I love all of this. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So final question. Final question. If you could be any fantastical creature or mythological creature, what would you be and why? Oh, I would be uh, the centaur, which is like the part horse, part uh, human. And how would you wear pants? um, I would not wear pants. Oh, okay. But centaur can wear pants. What are you talking about? That's that's the big question. Would centaurs come up, right? Do they, where, where do they wear? Do they have pants with four legs or pants with two legs? And then would they wear them on like the back part or like the front? Where? How do centaurs wear pants? I don't think they wear pants. I mean, if a horse doesn't have to wear pants, why do centaurs have to wear pants? Because I would imagine that. Okay, this is really like <laughs> where are we going? I mean, how does this? <laughs> how does it work? <laughs> I don't think they need pants. Okay, I would concur with that assessment. And worst case scenario. If they were cold or something, they'd always have a, like a poncho or a blanket or something. Well, I mean, they do have a tail that like covers, you know, that bit. So well, there's that. When a male horse has its moments, um, no amount of tail is covering that bit. That's true. That is true. So, and on that note, <laughs> it's shameless self-promotion time. Tell people where to find your book and how to follow you on the socials. Um, yes. So you can follow me, um, on at it's me or the horse on Instagram. Um, and on Facebook, I am Wiley Davis, a writer for horse horse girls, um, which is not necessarily accurate because my book is really for anyone. It's not necessarily people, you know, that are just into horses. Um, I feel like if you can read something about Mars and learn something about Mars or just be like, I don't really care about that fact, but whatever, move on. Um, and you can purchase my book from my website, which is booksbywd.com. And if you order it for me, then I will hand package it and send you a little autographed copy, or you can get it on Amazon. Perfection. It was so great having you on this podcast with us. Thank you for joining us. Oh my God. I had the best time. Wonderful. Got a little wild there at the end, but you know, what are you going to do? It's about uh, you know, it's if fine. it doesn't, we haven't done our job right. Um, right. 
Okay, this has been Drinking with Authors, everyone. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, leave comments. Um, and this, oh my goodness, wine, too much wine. It's fine, it's fine. I'm going to get through this. My co-host has been the not drunk J.M. Bacad. Our guest has been Wiley Davis, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.